Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Uh, good. I'm actually doing much better than last week. I was a bit down last week. Uh, but yeah, right back up there this week. Well, nice. How about you? Bouncing back. Yes, I'm doing very well as well. Thank you. Maybe a smidge over-caffeinated. <laughs> a nice way to record. So yeah. So fairly recently, we played a scenario together and got our backsides handed to us. And then fairly recently before that, we had the same thing happen. <laughs> And I think I wanted to just zoom in this episode and talk about another somewhat specific topic, but around the theme of failure in Arkham Horror. Yeah, okay. Because this is something I think I've been thinking about for quite a while, and I've broken it down in working in plenty of different layers. But yeah, I think one of the things I've seen quite a lot around the place in the sort of different communities that talk about the game is people popping up and saying, I've just played this scenario and I got absolutely ruined. I couldn't do anything. And it was the hard, you know, most horrible experience I've ever had. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And even from the corset days, we've known that failure has been a part of the game. So I suppose I just wanted to explore in a little bit more detail about what the game is doing around failure and then what we as a community are doing around failure. So if we maybe start at the most granular level. Mm-hmm. The Chaos Bag has an auto-fail token in it. Yes. And now in the game's life, there are ways of definitely avoiding that. And we'll see more as the game develops. You know, you can take the auto-fail out of the bag, or you can you know, seal it away. You can cancel it if you're playing Mateo. But for the majority of investigators and in the majority of situations, there's always a chance a 1 in 15 or 1 in 17 or whatever it is chance that however high above a test threshold you are, you're just going to fail. And I think that informs kind of the complexion of how we play. There's that slight, you know, there's always that feeling of being on the edge of my seat when I play that I could just get shut down. Mm -hmm. And a scenario could even be shut down entirely if I pull a string of fails over a turn. I can be in a bad situation and the situation just be compounded by the fact I can't get out of that situation. Yeah. So I think I think there's that aspect of failure. But then there's also the aspect of failure, which is a sort of part of the survivor identity. Yeah. And just before we move on to that, I think what's interesting is that people have had different reactions to this idea of there being an autofail baked into the game. Mm. I know people have said, if you don't like it, you can take it out the bag. Yeah. And that's entirely true. You can do it. I think it's, 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 you can contrast this with, with Marvel Champions. And I, I do like Marvel Champions. I've played it, played it a few times. I don't own it, but I've got a friend who's buying fully into it. And it's, it's fun to go to their, to their house and bust out the cards and, and, uh, and smack down a villain. <laughs> but there's an element in that of, of matzing out. Yeah, I think we've both said this, you know, you're like, oh, well, you do this, you do that, and then we do this, and oh, we've won. And that, that climactic moment almost becomes anticlimactic as a result. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I, this is, I guess, I think it's it's quite a minor criticism, and I think there's, you know, there's design space to work around it, and actually the feeling of having got to that point itself is rewarding. But it's a slightly different kind of experience to Arkham, where there's always going to be an element of tension until you reveal the token. 
Yes. Yeah. This is why I like to work out what you need to pass before you draw the token. <laughs> because then as <laughs> yeah. soon as you see it, like you notice some dice systems, role-playing games have a lot of the rules attached to whether you've passed or succeeded. Mm. So you roll the dice and then you have to look up whether you've succeeded or not. It's always good to know what you need to roll beforehand. And that's the same thing with the, the chaos token. You slap it down on the table, you lift your hand away. So, oh yes, we did it. Or oh no, you've drawn the tentacles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean talk about like the double jeopardy of adding token effects that make you draw another token. Yeah. So you're like, oh it's a oh, this it's is a, a, a I don't know what I've got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> double bluff. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think the autofell isn't just a hindrance. It it makes up some of the character of the game that there's that baked in risk you know and i think marvel is a very good uh, comparison because in marvel that final moment you want to feel like a powerful superhero you maybe don't want there to be risk you you want it to be a done deal that you destroy an enemy whereas in arkham either you've worked really hard to set up a final situation where there's no jeopardy at all or you go into that final situation feeling very strong but always knowing that failure is just around the corner yeah Sorry, yeah, you were about to dive into survivors, Frank. Well, I when I interrupted you, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't worry. Um, survivors are kind of strange in this way because they have things that key off failure. So we've got rabbit's foot, where you get to draw a card for failing. We've got take heart, drawing thin will make tests harder but reward you as a result. And then they've also got the suite of look what I found, dumb luck, oops, that turn what seems to be a failure into success. So not only do we have the auto-fail, but we also have a whole faction that they take the binary of failure is bad and success is good and kind of muddy it up and say, well, if you fail, but, but, but not by too much, you get all of these rewards and things like that. So I think they're just worth keeping in the mix when we think about failure, that for some people it seems actually incredibly inviting as a way of playing. And I think it's one of the hardest things for people to to sort of lean into, I would say. You know, the number of times I've seen Survivor as a faction slagged off because they just kind of fail their way through tests but don't really do anything. And I think maybe part of that is it's quite hard to lean into the identity of I'm just I'm going to fail a bunch of tests. Maybe it's hard to see how that connects to winning a scenario yeah. if winning is what you want to do. Uh, interestingly, we've, we've got a new... Uh, survivor coming who is largely focused around failing right mm-hmm. yeah yeah should we should we touch on her briefly so this is stella clark and... is she your favorite investigator <laughs> very good so strikingly she's got she's got eight eight for health sanity yes I mentioned it before she's the healthiest most robust investigator we've ever seen she has a pretty even stat line as well which Sometimes yeah. it's a, I don't know, as much as a, of a hindrance as it is a, she doesn't excel in any of the stats. She's got slightly higher agility, but she's three, two, three, four. Yeah. So she's, she's not quite got the peaks and troughs, uh, but she's, she's got a decent stab at ev- any of the stats. Maybe this, this stat line works in well with the, the failure ones, because it's, you know, you could boost up to succeed or fail in equal measures, almost on demand. Anyway, her her skill is, after you fail a test, you may take an additional action during your turn this round. Limit mm. once per round. We've seen more cards in her pack really leaning into that. We've talked before in our starter deck episodes about the key ring, about the new Derringer. 
So cards that either reward you for failure or you know don't lose charges if you fail, which is sort of interesting. We've also seen Quick Learner, which we've talked about, which makes the first test in your turn harder, but the tests three onwards easier. So if you're someone who can get extra actions like Stella, you tank the first test, gain some benefits from it, and it actually sets you up to succeed later in the turn. Even her signature gives her a big boost but also allows her to mitigate some of the downsides of failure. So, yeah, maybe the autofail will be her friend and you want those tests. You don't accidentally want to pull a plus one and pass. Maybe that's going to be one of the challenges of her stat line, (laughs) making sure you can fail consistently. So, yeah, do we want to move on from survivors? Yeah, I suppose so. So let's zoom out a little bit further. We've talked about maybe in-game But then around gameplay itself, scenarios might often have conditions around failure. You know, almost there's, I don't think there's any scenario where it doesn't have some sort of a negative resolution, or either if no resolution was reached or something like that. So failure is also attached to just how we play the game, scenario to scenario, and I've even seen situations where there are XP rewards, normally small ones, for failing a scenario, or it might even be that there's actually no punishment for failing. I think that's one of the things that's really striking to me about the secret name. If you don't get all the way through the secret name, you get less XP, but you don't take a trauma or anything. You've probably taken a trauma for failing, but beyond that, it, it it doesn't actually punish you. And I think... Coming to this game with thinking that there's a win and a lose, it can be quite hard to then get one's head around the fact that it's just about do as well as you can so often, and that you can essentially fail scenarios one to seven, more or less, there are some obvious <laughs> glaring exceptions there, and still win a campaign. Yeah, I think that's really intriguing to me around, as a game player, you want to sit down and your session be a success. But sometimes it's quite hard to quantify what successful failure is. There's, you know, it's very rare that that scenario resolution text says you win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing that's probably included in failure is like what we look at as the indicators of failure. For instance, if you're having a quite low XP campaign, you might say oh, I'm not doing very well. Or also if you're really racking up trauma. You know, that's a good sign to me, like (laughs) Roland going into a scenario with three mental trauma feels like I've been failing so far. And I really like that was something I really enjoyed about The Forgotten Age, that it really challenged players to change their attitude towards trauma, which I think is like a part and parcel of changing your attitude towards failure. Yeah. One thing I really liked in that scenario, in that campaign, sorry, is when you get poisoned you accumulate trauma over the, the course of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like a deterioration of your, your physical condition. Yeah. As, as, yeah. You, as you go on, you kind of feel like your character is, is really suffering from the yeah. impact of the, <laughs> that, that, that wounding hit early on in the campaign, being bit by a yeah. snake or something. Mm. What I found is I'm more willing to take trauma in other campaigns off the back of Forgotten Age. Yeah. Because Forgotten Age really said, look, you're going to take trauma, so start to do, like either actively deal with it or just accept it. I think that was really good. Did we see Arca- yeah. was Arcane Research in The Forgotten Age? Mm, good question. Quite 
Possibly. Because I think at that point, it, when I saw it, uh, it seemed like a really good trade, the the, the trauma for the experience. Mm. I was happy to make it, whereas earlier on in the game, I would have thought, oof, that sounds yeah. really bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, um, Let God Sort Them Out and Ghastly Revelation aren't very commonly paid cards, but they offer the same trade, don't they? Yeah. Here's a way out where you can control what trauma you take. And, you know, another of our failure investigators, Calvin Wright, really enjoys getting really beaten up. Yeah. So he also uh, yeah, like, yeah. takes trauma and says, actually, that's really good. You know, <laughs> if you couldn't see what investigator it was and you saw they were going into a scenario with four physical and four mental trauma, you'd think something had gone seriously wrong. And then you realize it's Calvin. It's, and he's loving it. Superpowered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I've not really, my, my thoughts are maybe slightly nebulous about this idea that around the conditions of failure through a campaign because I think it's a tricky tightrope for Matt Newman to walk where if every scenario ended the campaign, if you failed it, it would be too tricky. Like people would bounce off this game, I think. Yeah. But you want some of those situations that do force that, like Unspeakable Oath or Where Doom Awaits, but how many you have of them is kind of the balancing act. And how you how you continue from that point. So you yes, don't feel yeah. like you've wasted your time doing what you've done. And I think actually Unspeakable Oath does this in quite an interesting and, and it does it in a good way, basically. Mm, yeah. And do you have a story opportunity then of one group of investigators picking up the trail of the previous group and how how do you work with that and that's the other thing that's probably worth noting that often introductions to scenarios are different depending on if you've got a good or bad outcome i mean there i go attaching value when there isn't necessarily value attached like you'll get different text if you've achieved all of the objectives in the previous scenario or not that too is intriguing to me but there's still something I can't get away from, which is the idea that if we sit down and play, like we did recently, Peter, and just get thrashed, <laughs> yeah, are, are we wasting our time? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. I, we talk about Gloomhaven a lot, I think. Mm. And I think Gloomhaven maybe offers a similar kind of experience on, on one of the levels of playing the game. Gloomhaven is maybe more accentuated in that the levels feel like a puzzle and sometimes when you're playing it you spot tricks that obviously the designer has put in there there's like a poetry to the levels and when you spot something that you're meant to do to help you you're like ah i've picked up the clue it's like doing a crossword puzzle (laughs) yeah do you know what i mean can you give me a non-spoiler example well there was there was a recent one where there was you know you, you go through a door and there's three very big a very, very soaky enemy standing right by the door. Mm. And on your on your way to you're on your way to fight a boss enemy, and your goal is to kill the boss enemy. If you if you can jump past the slow enemies by the door, there's a very windy path filled with traps in order to get to the boss room. And if you can jump over the traps, you go straight into the boss room, and then you're fighting the boss. And these big slow enemies then have to walk a long way through mm. lots of traps, which actually the traps were immobilized traps <laughs> yeah and you know if you were just playing it like we just got to fight these enemies you go into this room see three massive enemies and spend the rest of the game chipping away at them and have yeah. no cards left by the time you get to the boss 
That's yeah. quite an overt example of something. So, oh yeah, I can see how that works. How I can use my my abilities in order to solve this this problem of this scenario. And we played another scenario recently, which we got absolutely destroyed in. And I think there's a lot of optimizing to be done in how you tackle that scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that to an extent, some of the same applies in Arkham. That, that they're almost... I think when we've played, we've played a lot more scenarios that are, are like this. Some scenarios are like a puzzle to be solved. Mm-hmm. And the way to apply your, your faction's cards to that puzzle um, yes. is critical yeah. in how you succeed or fail. Yeah, and that ties in with our recent episode about three health enemies, where that's part of the puzzle. What's your solution to this aspect of the puzzle? Absolutely. I think, yeah, it, it really... Sorry to interrupt you, Frank. It really no, applies to when we played Venice. Yeah. That's a really that's a really idiosyncratic scenario mm. where you've mm. got... The, the movement works in a particular way, so cards you think might be really useful are almost not useful at all. Yeah. As an example, something like Elusive. Elusive is obviously a very useful card anyway, but it becomes really good here because that ability yeah. to, say, jump backwards or to jump directly across the map, that, that mm. becomes really, really useful. Yeah, and we were looking at Open Gate and Esoteric Atlas and Safeguard when we were planning Yeah, and working out, do those actually combine? And <laughs> some of them don't, you know... Uh, Safeguard can help drag you round the carnival in an order, but actually if the other player is jumping to non-connected locations, Safeguard doesn't help anymore at that point. So yeah, it's intriguing. And, and uh, Rougarou as well. I think you can... Can you damage... The Rougarou is aloof. It's been a mm-hmm. while since I played Rougarou, but it make Yeah. But you can damage him while you're at his location. It's, mm-hmm. Is it engaging that you have to spend clues to do or something like that? That's correct, yeah. So certain cards that deal damage to uh, an enemy or location then become really useful in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like there's like a that, that puzzle-solving element of what cards are useful in the scenario and how do I use them to, to most effect. If we view each scenario as a puzzle and you get beaten trying to play the scenario, it's right, okay, just back to the drawing board and we'll try and fix that puzzle again it's not about win or loss it's more about i've not quite puzzled this out yet or what what useful clues have i got on this exploration of it and obviously that if you're playing a campaign where you're not going to go back to the scenario you've just played it might be a more frustrating feeling of i never really got going with solving this puzzle and now i have to move on to the next puzzle but the kind of play we've been doing has been about returning to the same scenario and thinking about a puzzle so yeah, I think this leads on quite neatly to this idea as well that, that failure can also be part of, I suppose, I've called, I've written this as meta experience, but I'm not sure if meta experience is quite right, but the the game playing you do outside of actually sitting down to play a scenario. So you might have built a deck that you think is going to be great and you come up against the scenario that really shuts it down. Yeah. I think a lot of people had that experience in Dunwich with Where Doom Awaits and actually with Undimension Unseen as well, where... If you can't do willpower, and then if you can't investigate certain locations respectively, or inverse respectively, you're just really stuck. And it can feel really, it can be a really negative experience. City of Archives, I think, is a really good example as well, where it the scenario challenges you so overtly to use your deck in a way that you've not foreseen. It can be really hard to keep up. Um, another one I've had recently is Patrice in Where the Gods Dwell, which... Yeah, it's just a fun one if you know how Patrice works and you know what's in Where the Gods Dwell. So 
that that feeling I think is distinct from losing a scenario where you feel like a scenario has actively taken your deck, chewed it up, and spat it out. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something you can predict when you've been building your deck. Especially if you're playing a scenario blind. Yeah. You, it, there's nothing worse than looking at the, the agenda card or the act card and realising it, it destroys a key element of your deck. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've built this highly mobile Ursula deck that wants to be moving into locations and then you start playing Essex County Express yeah. And you're like, well, it's absolutely useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to run up this train as quickly as possible. Yeah, precisely, I think. I think some of the most fertile conversations I have in the game is are after losing a scenario and talking with the people I've been playing with about what we could have done differently or maybe just what our decks lacked. So in a recent All Mystic playthrough, we realised we were really hurting for damage compression or damage acceleration. We had two people with shrivelings and, and weapons, but when it really came down to it, we just wanted more and more damage, and we couldn't quite keep up the pace. Mm. So then it was thinking, well, oh, you know, are there other options in Mystic that we could have lent into? There was I'd, I'd built quite a hybrid deck, and we realised that actually our clue finder, who was Luke, was doing clues so well that actually maybe some of the XP I dedicated to clue tech, I could have just dedicated to damage so that was a really rewarding conversation for me around what what went wrong here <laughs> what could we have done differently i mean it was a, a bit of a gloomy conversation as well it was a campaign loss but it was really yeah really interesting i suppose but i can see how that could push someone out of the game if you sit down to play you know see it with new players as well where they get beaten by the ghoul priest in the gathering yeah they maybe played a starter deck and go, hey, this wasn't very enjoyable. It's got 20 health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do I <Yeah>. do? <laughs> and if you're not used to uh, Arkham File settings and the broader Lovecraftian setting of that we're puny humans who can't possibly face up against these monstrosities, I think it is jarring. I think that I mean, it's part of the appeal for me, and I think it attracts, broadly speaking, optimistic... Uh, sort of resilient players to the game but it also can be a real surprise we think this game looks really fun and it's just pounding me yeah and, and, and I, I totally get that feeling but i think the, the important thing to do is to frame it as as learning how the game works and, and learning mm. what works and what doesn't work in your playing of the particular scenarios if you always won then it wouldn't be fun when you did win and what you want to do is, what's that old saying about the masters failed more times than than you have attempted, you have tried, or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, funny you mention that because when Kobe Bryant passed away recently, I read a really I didn't I don't follow basketball, so I don't really know anything about him. But I read a really interesting article that pointed out that he missed more shots than any other player. <laughs> And he had maybe, a thou- I think, a thousand more missed shot attempts than any other player. Wow. And that missing shots, but being able to try again was kind of part of his makeup. Yeah. And is why he got so good, because he took misses as a chance to practice and try again, rather than as a lesson to not try. <laughs> Which, like, that, that's really intriguing to me when I see someone post on a forum or on Facebook saying this game is too hard I'm really struggling often the responses will be people saying let's check which rules you might have missed 
what deck are you playing you know where where are the ways you can shift this round so there might be something like they've not yet yet played a weapon so they find all the enemies really hard to kill yeah because even two health enemies are a real pain if you're punching them so action intensive and then you see the ghoul priest and you're like how am i supposed to punch it five times yeah, at four yeah, yeah yeah so you know the failure can be about a lack of knowledge or experience and so you know i i quite enjoy playing roguelike games or roguelike games as well where failure is baked into the learning experience isn't it i mean dark souls is similar right learning patterns yeah 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 absolutely uh, i couldn't agree more those games aren't mm. difficult they just require patience yeah patience is important i think and i, I guess i wanted to touch on this point as well i mean this is more personal to me it can feel quite strange to get thrashed by a scenario and go and look how people are talking about the game and people are talking about how much they've just destroyed a campaign <laughs> that that can raise all sorts of feelings about oh uh am i just not very good at it or... <laughs> yeah i remember the very first time we played uh oh what is it called oh the name has just completely escaped me it's the it's the first pack in carcosa echoes of the past echoes of the past that's it that yeah. really easy scenario <laughs> <laughs> that ev- everyone yeah. passes without an issue i remember like we were tearing our hair out playing that for the first time mm. there's just enemies all over the place doom racking up everywhere just yeah. desperately sprinting to the hidden library as the as the the doors got battered down by the the oathkeeper <laughs> yeah 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 so we like we have those experiences, I think. I think you had a pretty easy ride of Boundary Beyond the first time you played it. So any experience we've had of a particular scenario can then colour how we think about it, how we respond to the community at large. I think Where the Gods Dwell is a really interesting example where it's so much harder, I believe, in solo just because of what you're asked to do that... It's quite strange seeing people say, yeah, it was all right in four-player, and then someone in solo going, how the hell am I supposed to do that? <laughs> well, this is the other thing as well. that uh, I very rarely play solo. Mm, mm. And I think even just with two players, if you consider what you're both putting in your decks, you can cover a lot more bases, and you have a yes. lot more resilience to things going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Even the simplest of moves of spend two actions and last action engage an enemy off the other person so they get three actions means that you're still getting five of your six actions in a turn even though you've drawn an enemy that you couldn't deal with yeah in the way that in solo if you draw the enemy you can't deal with it's like okay i'll evade two on three here goes whatever it is yeah yeah and that that's then is it a failure of your deck that you don't have a solution for enemies is it a failure of your play style that you've not built into that is it just bad luck that sometimes you draw three enemies at once or whatever it is. I had a player's Seth recently where I drew an enemy. I must have played Drawn to the Flame, drew an enemy, which I evaded. In upkeep, I drew an enemy out of my deck. <laughs> and in the next Mythos, my card was an enemy. So I went from zero enemies to three enemies in a couple of actions and was then thinking like, what? <laughs> you know, and that is just bad luck. If if I'd not drawn the enemy off my deck, or if I'd, I'd seen quite a few enemies out of the encounter deck, so if I'd not drawn another enemy from the encounter deck, I would have been fine. I'd evaded the enemies, moved on, you know, chuckling away. But <laughs> sometimes you have those situations. So maybe there's something about perspective as well. If 
if around the community there's this expectation that we smash all scenarios and we win and every deck we build is perfectly optimized it can be quite hard if you're like well i've just built a fun deck and i don't know if it's keeping up with what other people want and i suppose i'd add as well to player count there's also difficulty right <laughs> yeah you know? yeah I, I i and i rarely play above standard mm. and i know a lot of people you know i think it's it's standard you can there's not a huge amount of pressure, especially at higher player counts where you, you can cover more bases and more things have to go wrong before you start to really feel the impact. You know, I think you can get away without a lot of optimization there. Uh, once yeah. you set up to hard and especially to expert, you really need to be optimized. Yeah. And the folks who do that more regularly, I would take their deck advice above everything else if you really want to optimize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the just, you know, the discussions around your decks you probably need to be a little bit more ruthless with the choices you make. Yeah. Because you need cards that will land and will will have their effects reliably rather than the, oh, I'll, I'll roll the dice and see it. You know, 60% of this time, it works every time. <laughs> There's, Those kind of cards, you can't... It's less opportunity for whimsy. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I suppose I'm touching around the idea as well of how we talk about the game and that failure is a intrinsic part of playing Arkham both in gameplay and in the meta around building a good or bad deck, losing a scenario, losing a campaign. And yeah, I've even thought about it. I've I've alluded to this before on the cast, you know, recording episodes of the podcast and deciding not to release them. That in itself could be a failure. I found it quite a freeing experience to, to do that, to go, oh, actually, you know, I don't have to put out everything I've recorded like it's not it's not that you know we can i can pick and choose what i'd like listeners to hear there can be a little bit of curation i think it was um god what's his name the chap from um this american life oh i don't know ira Ira glass he came over to the bbc off the back of serial doing so well and he met a load of people at the bbc who you know making radio making television and one of his big observations for how the bbc was set up was that BBC had this, broadly speaking, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, attitude of not failing. So really high standards and not doing anything that would fail. And he said that he thought that that was going to be really challenging for creativity because it didn't allow any of the creative people, even, you know, a producer who's picking something to produce, to go away, take a risk on something, and it'd be okay if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And... He said, you know, that you compare that with This American Life, and with Serial, where they take gambles on things. And if they don't get the kind of podcast they want, they just don't release it. Yeah. And that's part of their creative process. And I thought that was really intriguing because you'd, you'd think a big corporation would have the space to roll the dice a bit more and that that could be sort of baked into their overheads. Mm-hmm. But actually, if a corporate culture is about success and ex- excellence, it can be really hard to justify like, you know what? we've really dropped the ball on this project. We thought the script was going to be good. It's not as good as we wanted it to be. So there can be that kind of that kind of challenge there. And that's where like that's where I think speaking up for failure in Arkham is really important because it's like the hard lessons we learn when things don't go well make us better players as opposed to saying that makes you a worse player because you can't beat every scenario first time. Anything else you'd like to add about failure, Peter? I don't think so. I think you've covered this quite well. No, I don't think so. Just 
yeah, everything we've said, really. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope you don't mind that it's a bit of a kind of mind dump for me as well. I've thought about this, I think, a lot. You know, maybe it's that I keep an eye on the tenor of conversations rather than just the content. I'm sort of intrigued by that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's it's more in the, the card game DNA than the board game DNA of the game. Mm. Or may, maybe it's not. I, I don't know. I, I, I've obviously played a lot of Arkham Horror 2nd Edition years and years mm. ago, but less of... We played a couple of games of Eldritch Horror now yeah. uh, and, and are playing some Arkham Horror 3rd Edition at the moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more in, in the DNA of, of card games that you need to accept failure and, and learn from it and move on from it. Yeah. I think maybe it also is partly about adding character to a longer campaign. If I sit down and play six hours of Eldritch with you and it ends in a loss, that's just, that feels a shame. <laughs> yeah. If we sit and play a campaign and we lose four scenarios but end up winning. Well, maybe if we if we win seven and lose the final one. You know, I've got a buddy I play Arkham with who's yet to win a campaign with me. We... But we keep smashing campaigns up to the final scenario and then losing that, <laughs> you know. If you'll indulge me a very, very brief anecdote. When I was at university, yeah, my, my friends on a long weekend lugged their computers all up to one of their houses and started a game of uh, Civ Four mm. on, I think it's marathon mode. It's the slowest mode in the game, effectively. <laughs> and they, they worked together to try and, to try and beat the AI over the course of this weekend. And they came in on, on Monday, like, kind of bleary-eyed, having been up till one o'clock on the Sunday, playing this game of Civ Four. I was like, oh, mm. all weekend playing Civ Four, Just absolutely exhausted. It was amazing. And then one of my other friends wasn't really into to playing games at all. Said, oh, did you win? And they said, oh, no, no, the AI beat us in the end. And they said, oh, well, so you've wasted your weekend then. <laughs> um, and that just it always makes me laugh when I think back to it. Like yeah. as if it wouldn't have been a wasted weekend by his terms. If they'd won, <laughs> that would have validated the endeavour. But also that the the playing of the game itself wasn't what was what was fun. Yeah. And well, setting out and on that challenge. That's then is it is it you judged on outcome or are you judged on process? Yeah. I, I listen to because I follow rugby sort of vaguely. I'm really intrigued by that as well. That like uh, elite sport, as long as you're process is going well you don't mind too much the outcome because probably if your process is going well you're winning anyway yeah but the thing that you can have control over is the process you can't have control over the outcome so you you buy into the process i mean you know that i think is really relevant to arkham like as long as i'm making good decisions in a scenario and playing piloting my deck well i can be unlucky i can draw that auto fail or draw multiple enemies off the deck but hopefully i'll end the scenario thinking well at least i gave it a good shot and i played well rather than like oh i played like a ninny or whatever it is well that's all we've got on failure what is your relationship to failure like listener is it something that you even think about or do you just smash every single scenario on expert true solo if you do i'd love to know about your deck we're on drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com we're on Drawn to the Flame on Twitter and Facebook. We're also on Patreon and Designed by Humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am Unitled everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and Discord and Instagram as the.unitled. So say hello. And how about you, Frank? 
FB on Twitter, FEB on Instagram, Zooey Glass and Zozo around the place. Do say hello too. Thanks very much for listening. Interestingly, I was watching... I don't know whether you come across Red Letter Media. No, what's that? Uh, they're, a, they're a film review channel, and they do various types of video. Okay. And they're like... They're connected to the film industry, I believe, when they have on guests that are connected to the film industry on, on occasion, working in kind of special effects and low-budget horror and stuff like that. And they've made their own films in the past. They're the people who did that, those, that famous Star Wars Phantom Menace review that was on YouTube a while ago, which is... Have you seen it? Remind me of it. In case well, I it, it's it's all done from the point of view of this kind of crazy old man, uh, Mister Plinkett. <laughs> right. Uh, but they do various types it. of videos. So they they review films that have just come out. One of the series they do is called Review. Mm. And they do them with a lot of low budget horror films. So there's actually one on the thing, and there's one on um, In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, nice. Which we both watched recently, and I can highly recommend watching those. Actually, they're they're, they're really interesting. They've got a lot of inside knowledge on the films and they take mm. a really nice like positive view of what's good about the films and one of the guys <laughs> actually in the one about Ma- in the mouth of madness one of them rented the film from you know when the the agent comes out of the, the building across the street and mm. then walks across yeah, the street yeah. and smashes the the window open so he comes out of a video store and then the <laughs> restaurant he walks to is now a video store which <laughs> the guy had rented in the mouth of madness from Wow. When he was a kid, and he went in, and the, the the clerk said, "Oh yeah, watch out for the restaurant and that." And he's like, "That's a weird thing to say." Then he watched it, and he's like, "Oh my god, that's where I was." <laughs> that's cool. Um, but yeah, I can Sweet highly recommend. Detail. I'll send you a link after this. Yeah, please do. But I was going to say I was watching one last night, and it all played onto the next one, which was Reanimator, mm, okay. which is the film based the the kind of terrible film based on Herbert West. Yeah. So it's an odd view that <laughs> it's incredibly gory. It likewise became clear that since the same solution never worked alike on different organic species, he would require human subjects for further and more specialized progress. It was here that he first came into conflict with the college authorities and was debarred from future experiments by no less a dignitary than the dean of the medical school himself, the learned and benevolent wandering gambler, whose work on behalf of the stricken is recalled by every old resident of Arkham. Of Timothy Barker, who was my friend in college and in afterlife, I can speak only with extreme terror. This terror is not due altogether to the sinister manner of his recent disappearance, but was engendered by the whole nature of his life work, and first gained its acute form more than 17 years ago, when we were in the third year of our course at the Miskatonic University Medical School in Arkham.